The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. What's going on, recovery family? And welcome back to sharing our stories. My name is Slim, along with Nani Al-Jalil from Tribe Recovery Homes. And this is Sharing Our Stories. It is a program all about addiction and recovery. We bring in guests who have dealt with addiction in their lives to drugs and or alcohol. And they come in to share about their recovery, to let people know that yes, recovery happens. So it's, it's kind of like a celebration every time that we're here because we're always celebrating recovery. You know, that's what it's all about. So thank you for being here. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Nani, hi. Hello. I love your straight hair. Nani straightened Thank you, I hair, straightened my hair. Which if, if you pay attention here week to week, <laughs> not you have really naturally curly hair. Very curly hair. Super. It's and super it's, curly. And it's gorgeous. It's thank gorgeous, you. natural curly hair. The kind of hair some people die for. They're like, mm-hmm. I'm so jealous. I want your hair. When you have curly hair, you want straight hair. When exactly. you have straight hair, you want curly so, hair. You had, uh, how long does it take to straighten this hair? If I were to do it myself, it would take me two hours. <laughs> two hours. You had somebody Brenda, else do it? When Brenda does it, it takes her about 30 minutes. But you really, you have somebody else, you just sit around and chop it up. Just, and we chop it up. Hair. Do you yeah. pay for that? Yes. Yes. And oh, you yeah, have, you and you have to charge. That. It's Nothing's not just a friend free. thing. That's no, not a friend thing. <laughs> Nothing's for free, Slim. Nothing. It looks so nice, though. I like it. Thank you. And how long does it last before it goes back to curly? <laughs> <laughs> until I get it wet. <laughs> till you get it wet? Till I get it wet. So how long has it been straight? <laughs> I got it done uh, three days ago. So, so your hair has three days. Slim. Of yes. Not t- it hasn't touched water for three it days. It hasn't touched any water for three days. Dry, dry shampoo. You from, dry smelling. shampoo. <laughs> but do you like, do you put perfume in it or something? Yes. <laughs> do, you, do, do you air, air, air freshener? Do you air it? Do you freeze it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I think it looks yes. great though. Thank you. I think it looks great. So yeah. when's the next shower coming up that you want? <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah. All right, we'll get we'll get to our our guest here yeah. instead of teasing Nani. Uh, our guest is Timothy Deweese from Denver, who looks like he washed his hair before he hair. before he came. He, he washed his hair today. Yes, I did. Yes, uh, no, but I want to thank. Uh, is it Timothy or Tim? What do you go by? Uh, you know, Timothy's good. Timothy? Um, is it always Timothy? Because he, he already yeah, said it. Timothy yeah. is good. They take away yeah. your nicknames. He said, yeah. do not shorten my name. Do Timothy not. is we'll good. Do no right. such thing. Yes. Let's go with Timothy. Timothy DeWeese. Okay. You're a Stout Street graduate. Mm-hmm. All right. So for those that don't know, Stout Street is here in Denver, Colorado. And Stout Street is like the military. Yes. Of recovery. Like this is a tough program. Behavior modification. But, but before, yes. before we uh, got on here, you said that friends of yours referred to it as the Navy SEALs of recovery. The Navy yeah. SEALs of recovery, which is, I mean, it's both like frightening, but also like so commendable because you have to be about your recovery. Yeah. Like you're really serious about wanting your recovery uh, when you go to Stout Street. Or they'll make you really serious about it. They will get you to understand about it. Uh-huh. The, um, I think when you go there, you um, are at the end of your rope. Yeah. And it's um, you don't know what else to do. You've tried everything else and it's uh, you're just done. I was done. I was tired mm-hmm. um, and I needed to do something different in my life. And that seemed like the only the only way to do it because uh to be honest, a 30, 60 day program was just going to get me fat and sober. Uh-huh. I would have been right back out there doing it again. Um, you needed the seriousness of Stout Street. I mean, I have met so many Stout Street graduates and it's an amazing program. Amazing, uh, amazing men and women have come out of there. Yeah. You know, I've graduated from there. There's an amazing group of men and women that um, facilitate the program as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they uh, give you the opportunity to... Make mistakes um, in a safe environment. 
so that you're not getting locked up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you learn how to control behaviors. Yeah. It's and a behavior modification yeah. similar to Haven Pier One. Right, exactly. Therapeutic community. I'm a Haven yep. graduate. Yeah, that's yep. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I know of a lot, of, uh, quite a few people from Pier One and Haven, and that's um, how, or even from, you know, in DOC, they have therapeutic community programs yeah. in, in, in DOC. So it's, uh, you know, it's not for everybody, but um, if you want to put in the effort and um, you can make it work and it, uh, you come out shining at the end, you really do. That's awesome. Well, we're going to turn this program over to you and this is your time to share. We would love to hear about your recovery. And um, in order to get there, we have to start with your addictions. So mile high, our guest today is Timothy DeWeese from Denver. And he is our guest for sharing our stories. Thank you, Slim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you all for having me here. Um, so again, my name is Timothy. Um, before I came to Stout Street, it was Tim. But in Stout Street, as Nani said, that you get rid of any nicknames and you go by your birth name and your last initial is how you are. So over the course of three years of being affiliated with Stout Street, now I go by Timothy. People that knew me before Stout Street, it was they still call me Tim. Um, so it's uh, I, I go by both. Usually in the past, the only time I was called Timothy is when my mom was mad at me uh -huh. or when I was in front of the judge. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a great way to define who you were and who you are. Exactly. 100%. And I've really grown accustomed to it um, and taken ownership of it. So, um, you know, um, going along my story, um, you know, I'll just go past, present, future is how I find the best way to do it. Um, I grew up, um, I was born in California um, in 1969, my parents met in the Navy in Long Beach and um, had myself and my sister. And we lived there till I was about six or seven years old. Um, there was some shenanigans going on up in the uh, hills of Los Angeles right around 1970. Um, and my parents decided that it would probably be safer to move back to Colorado where they're from. It's kind of coincidental that one went to Lakewood High School, one went to Littleton and they meet in the Navy. Um, kind of crazy, right? It's a small world and I'll get to that small world part a little bit later. Um, I grew up in Palisade, Colorado on the Western slope, peaches, pears, you know, everything that a kid would have wanted horses, um, acres of playground. Um, I was a latchkey kid, so I didn't have my parents around a lot of times, not a lot of, there was chores, but not a lot of structure. It was a lot of playtime and a lot of uh, availability to play. The street light coming on at night was the indicator it was time to go home. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have pagers. We didn't have any of that stuff. So, But at an early age, um, I started kind of my shenanigans, not necessarily with drinking, but um, disappearing a lot over, usually at friends' house. Um, grade school was pretty rough. Um, I remember back... When I was younger in grade school, like I used to get picked on a lot and teased by girls. Um, later on in life, I found out that that just stuck with me through my whole life. Middle school, probably like everybody was probably the most traumatic experience of my entire life. Um, and I didn't have my parents around to really process how I was feeling and what was going on. Um, I didn't have an adult or anybody else to process that. So, um, I didn't really do a whole lot about it. I stayed pretty well engaged with horses and such. And then I got into ski racing, um, which was my outlet for that. Um, not a lot of people skied in Palisade, Colorado. Mm -hmm. So um, it was kind of neat that I was like one of the elite few that had that opportunity to do so. And my dad taught me a lot. We used to go camping all the time in the summers. I had a really good childhood growing up in Colorado. Um, Later on, um, parties started happening and that's when it all kind of started, you know, 15, 16 years old rural area. We're talking, I'm talking bonfire parties that you don't see nowadays, right? Especially in the city. Um, and then I found alcohol. Um, it soothed me. It, um, it really hurt. It, it helped the hurt inside. Um, plus it, I felt cool. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was part of the crowd. 
Um, you know, I was on the football team and we'd go to keggers and doing, you know, the, the whole bit, you know, with the, the tube and the funnel and the, you know, the whole thing. Um, we really wasn't a big thing then because it was really still like illegal. Um, you know, that was uh, kind of when the pager phase of life started and you yeah. were like going to the, there was pay phones at 7-Eleven still. And, you you know, you call your dealer or run, you page him and he'd page you back and he'd beat in a non-disclosed location all the time. You're just anxiety is going because you're like, oh, my God, are there cops? Am I going to get arrested? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Um, when I was about 16, we moved to Park City, Utah. Um, cause I was getting really good at ski racing and that's the home of the U S ski team. And, um, it's a, it's a resort town. It's uh summit County, summit County, Utah. And, um, even though it was Utah, it still was synonymous with, you know, a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs. Um, I blew my knee out playing football and that ended the ski racing thing. Um, and then uh, the drinking got worse. We'd drive around and we'd be stealing cases of beer off people's balconies in the wintertime and driving to Wyoming to buy liquor because it was, you know, we were dry six, on Sunday yeah, or underage. Right. And who doesn't look 19 and as a senior in high school, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the partying really started to kick in. And that's when I started to get some consequences. Um, minor at that, you know, underage drinking ticket. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was cool because everybody else got one, too. It's like a badge so, of honor. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's doing it. I justified it. You know, everybody does it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're all cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but um, there was a couple other times where um, we were at a party and my sister lost the keys in the woods one night to my car. And we had to walk home and have my dad come get me. Another time I got uh, pulled over way out of town and my dad had to come get me and um he wasn't happy. So consequences started at an early age, if you will. Then I moved back to Colorado um, with my mom to Littleton, and I started working in a restaurant. Um, you work in a restaurant after hours, go to old Chicago, mm. get your name on the wall of foam. I thought that was like cool. Like how many, <laughs> the wall of foam. The wall of foam. How like many that. beers have I drank from how many different countries? You know, you get your name up on the wall and it's like, you know, you walk in, look, look, there's my name up there. See it? See it? You know, showing off and everything. And we'd party. And then the weed started, started smoking weed, started partying every night. Um, that's when I got my first DUI. Um, so the consequences start getting worse. So as the story progresses here. Um, but you still don't notice the consequences. No, it's still okay. Yeah. I'm still minimalizing the whole thing and rationalizing it is like, oh, oh well, everybody gets one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, then I moved to Copper Mountain. I moved to Silverthorne, Summit County, Colorado. Here we go again with the Summit County. <laughs> um, and I worked at Copper Mountain at the ski resort. And that's what you do. You ski and party. Yeah. So um, it's one in the same. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Peanut butter and jelly for it's, sure. It's like Colfax and crack. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't have one without the other. Right. So um, th everything was going really, really good. Um, I didn't have any responsibilities like kids, wife, any of that kind of stuff. I'm in my early twenties. Um, I mean, who wouldn't love to be able to work at a world renowned ski resort in your twenties mm -hmm. and just party. Yeah, sure. I had my free reign with keys to every door on the mountain, including the liquor cabinets. Um, so we'd party a lot and have big giant parties. Um, I got on the volunteer fire department thinking that that was, I mean, again, as, as a little boy who doesn't want to drive a fire truck. Right. And I had this opportunity to be a volunteer fireman and get all this training and drive a fire truck. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's cool. Um, I did that for a while, but I was still working in restaurants and started drinking earlier in the day in the restaurant, more like 12 o'clock um, and smoking pot in the kitchen while we we're working. And um, I got that's when I got my second DUI within like six years of my first one. Consequences got a little worse. I got locked up. I had to do some time um, community service. 
I think the biggest consequence was the embarrassment when um, my second one, it was a vehicle accident. I hit a tree head on. Um, and guess who they call when there's an accident? Fire department. The fire department. Oh, the fire department. So here yeah. come all my buddies. Here come your homies. Yeah, yeah here come my homies. <laughs> you know, and then the, the, the CSP was nice enough not to handcuff me in front of my friends, mm. but it was still quite embarrassing. Mm -hmm. um, I lost all my privileges, obviously. I couldn't drive the fire truck anymore. Yeah, especially because you're a volunteer. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Um, I still got to participate in such like that, but it really got less and less and less. Then I started coming down to Denver with the guy that I hooked up with, and we were buying like pounds of weed from this guy that was growing it in his basement down here, driving it back to Summit County and selling it. So, so um, it's a lot more than just smoking a little bit in the, yeah. the, the restaurant. Right. And, yeah. It was like now we were like distributing. Yeah. Illegal at, at the mm -hmm. time. Illegal. Right. Mm -hmm. So it got worse. It'd still be illegal now. Yeah. <laughs> at that amount. Right. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not the dispensary. True. <laughs> so it got worse. That that part got worse. Um, it got super expensive to live up there. So I moved to Denver. Mm -hmm. um, I moved in with my cousin who is a... Um, he had trust fund. He had money. He had a good job. He also liked to smoke crack. Hmm. That was really my first experience with crack. Um, I didn't really get hooked on it at that time. Um, got married, had a couple kids, wife, family, her family, my family. I felt as if I was in the middle getting torn between like her or my family, her or my family. Um, and the beer became not effective, so the liquor was a lot quicker. And then I became an auto mechanic, and I'd stay late at work um, because I didn't want to deal with all the drama when I got home. So I knew if I stay late at work, I'd get home, they'd be all be in bed. Mm -hmm. Another issue that arose was that dad was no longer important because the kids are now in the, in the mix, right? I didn't know how to process that again. Like I was numero uno before the kids and now I'm lower than the dog kind of thing. You know, come home, dinner's in the microwave kind of, you know, everybody's asleep and, and they couldn't wait around and everything. And um, it was always their fault. You know, that was another thing I always never liked to do is take accountability mm -hmm. for my actions. Um, so I was really lonely to get to the point. I became very lonely. And then I started to look for a way to soothe that loneliness in addition to the liquor. And that, you know, included being unfaithful to my wife. Um, I did exactly what my dad did. So I don't have this in me hereditary light, but I learned it's a learned experience that I became who I was from watching my dad always had liquor around cheating on my mom, the whole bit. Um, I didn't feel anything wrong with it because I needed me. I was, it was about me. I was selfish. Um, I needed something to fill that void. And again, I didn't know how to communicate because I never really learned as a kid, how to communicate and speak and open my mouth. Um, the other is, is, you know, I grew up with, um, the notion that men don't share their feelings or men, mm -hmm. <laughs> Tim Allen, right. You know, we don't cry. We don't talk about our feelings. You know, we sit around and watch football and eat pizza and fart and drink beer. That's, that's what we did. So never really learned how to process that or anything without lashing out after I've had a few drinks. That's how I thought communication was. Well, that didn't really work out too well because eventually my kids became old enough to see that. Um, and again, I thought I was okay because I had a job. I was paying their bills. I was the breadwinner. I was the functional alcoholic to a T. Um, except for when it started getting worse and then I started calling in sick on a regular basis. I always kept a job for five to seven years at a time. I didn't shop hop all the time or I wasn't a basketball bouncing around. Um, so it just, it just got worse. And then calling in sick because I was, you know, drunk, sick over, you know, hung over shaking. 
to the point that, um, you know, I had to have something every morning to like, just get started yeah. for the day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had that doctor's note that said that I was sick. So again, I justified it in my head that it was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I would go back to work after missing a few days and that anxiety just kicked in. Like as I was getting out of the car to go inside, I was like, God, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? Oh my God, they know everything. And that was really frightening and terrifying. I got through it, but, um, Little did I know now that they, they all knew what I was doing. You know, I thought I was being sneaky. Mm -hmm. I thought I was smart. Nobody can smell it on me. I mean, I'm going to my kids' parent-teacher conferences smelling like a half gallon of whiskey, thinking that if I put a Mentos in my mouth that nobody's going to smell it permeating from my skin and my pores. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it got to that point. Um, there was a point, there was one time when I picked up my, uh, my youngest son from school drunk, bouncing back and forth off the walls, swaying through the hallways. They let me drive off, but the dean called social services and they said, no, you cannot see your kids. You have to go through all this stuff, the UAs and the level two education classes and all that kind of stuff. Monitored visitations, the whole bit, you know, it was, it was rough. And that was a very um, angry point in my life. I was very angry with my ex-wife, um, just angry with everybody. Because, mm -hmm. um, again, I didn't know how to take any accountability. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to communicate without lashing out because I had. And then, then you're taking away my alcohol. Like, oh, come on. You took my kids away. Now I can't drink. Um, I played the game. Um, and. But I also thought I also beat the system. Um, so I thought I was smart. You know, I'm smart. I didn't get caught drinking when I was taking my UAs. Um, later on, um, I got all that worked out and everything and uh, um, try to rekindle uh, the relationship with my ex-wife about 10 years ago. Um, and then um, and then a, a really bad thing happened. Um I'm just going to put it as I was a victim of a random act of violence and I was stabbed seven times in a motel room mm -hmm. and left to die. Um, unconscious for eight days in the hospital. Um, they finally caught the person, um, put him in prison for a few years. Um, but when I look at it now, like not only was I pretty much a POS father, up until that point, because I was there for the finances, but not there as a dad, right? Um, then they have to come and see dad unconscious, innovated in the intensive care with a different name because they changed my name. My mom, who has been a registered nurse her entire life, knowing exactly what's going on with me, sitting there watching her little boy like that, right? Only because... Um, I got the I got a, I got the case of I want what I want and I want it right now. And I put myself into a dangerous situation because of that. My ex called me 30 minutes before I left to go meet this particular person and asked if I would go to dinner with her and the kids. And I said, no, mm -hmm. that's how selfish I was. Because you were because you're acting out in behaviors. Right. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Acting out in, in mm -hmm. behavior. Mm -hmm. Didn't know how to cope. Right. So I was acting out. Um, we made it through all that and um, really developed a uh, this is messed up. Um, I'd like to use some more emphasis words, but I don't want to have you like editing the whole thing because <laughs> constantly. Yeah. You just throw in right. beeps whenever you want. Bleep. OK, so um, I developed this serious invincibility complex. Okay. I just got stabbed seven times and mm -hmm. lived. Bring it on. Yeah. I'm I got bad at I thought I was the <laughs> hardest person in the world, right? Subconsciously. I didn't really wear it on my shoulder. I didn't wear it. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have this black cloud over my shoulder, but internally I was really angry. I wasn't angry at that person. I was angry at me mm -hmm. for doing it. But the 
you would think that something of that nature would like convince somebody that maybe it's time to stop. Mm-hmm. Like be cool for a yeah. while. Yeah. No, I went <laughs> like, get yeah. clean. I'm in a bad yeah. situation. It right. should be rock bottom. Yeah. Is what that should be being stabbed seven times and left to die. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. The trap door. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I went hard to the pain after that. Um, it got worse. There was mm-hmm. the, I can take anything yep. now. Exactly. I was, what can you do to like, me? Here's a shovel, mm-hmm. dig deeper. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was, and did you care about your life at that point either? I also, you know, all the way up until like the past three years, I really didn't slim, you know, I found that out going through this program that that's why I had no self-worth. I had no backbone. I had no spine. I had no voice. And that all stems way back to when I was seven, eight years old growing up. It started then. It's all learned behavior that I, that I picked up. Mm -hmm. Um, and behavior learned that I, you know, watched happen and where I wasn't able to cope and process and talk about things that were bugging me. So I continuously found that soothing sensation of alcohol that became my friend and looking for that thing to fill up that, that God sized hole, Mm -hmm. right? That's something to, to make you feel love and worth. Right. Acceptance. Accepted, Mm -hmm. like cool, all that. Um, I maintained work. Uh, My job was amazing. I'd only been there for a month and they fronted me some money to help get me back on my feet and kept my job for me. Um, and I worked there for seven years. Um, things were going good for a while, but there was some times where I'd be out sick for a week and on a bender. Mm-hmm. Um, I manipulated anybody and everything I possibly could. My uncle, um, God rest his soul, I was living in his house in Conifer and driving his trucks. Um, my mom, I would you know manipulate her for money all the time. Um, anything that I could do to like manipulate, I would take anything, take, take, take is Mm -hmm. what I started becoming as a taker and not thinking anything twice about it. Like it was more like it was owed to me Mm -hmm. kind of feeling. Right. Um, my dad passed away in 2018. That was pretty hard. Um, I was living with my son in an apartment and my son comes out and he says, do you really think your dad would want to see you sitting out here on a porch getting drunk? And it didn't really hit home to me or anything. At the time, I was borrowing my uncle's truck and I drove to Texas for his service drunk, um, was at the service drunk, um, had a party afterwards drunk and drove home from Texas drunk. And mind you, um, I'm not a typical drunk. I'm the I'm your page 21 drunk. If you know of the, uh, anything mm. about the big book, mm. I'm never mildly mm. intoxicated. I'm more like heavily Leaped up mm-hmm. most of the time. My blood alcohol was point was was ninety proof. Mm. Was my was my blood type. You had to wake up to drink in the morning to yeah. get your day going. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had to. Yeah, I had stashes everywhere. That mm-hmm. was just to, just to function. Mm-hmm. So um, that was pretty rough. Um, right after that, I got back and I got my third DUI, um, and that was a bad one. Um, I passed out in the truck and I ran into. Um, a parked vehicle on a car dealership parking lot and just wrecked it. Um, drove home. Somebody reported it. Cops came. I was cool. They took me to jail. Um, so that was my third. And I went 25 years between my second and third. So I thought, okay, cool. Everything dropped off. Well, they changed the law. So like three, you know, they count them as per lifetime now. Yeah, right. You know, that's right. So they were ready to do the whole thing, you know? Um, so I got a lawyer and I thought it was things cool, but going back to when I was with social services and I drank, I knew that if I drank a whole bunch of water that day, and if I had to UA that night, I would be okay. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm on pretrial for this DUI. I'll do the same thing. I didn't know that pretrial sends it in for like a thousand point bulletin, thing that they check for and they can go back like four days to see if you've been drinking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gave you the You're real test. The real test. Oh, yeah. I got the real, real test as soon as I walked into court <laughs> and the judge is like, 
take him downstairs mm-hmm. and uh, and handcuff me every time I went to go to court. I got remanded because my UAs are always hot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, how did that happen? It didn't happen with social services. Mm-hmm. I figured it out, you know. So I would get marched down the old, you know. Pat Sullivan Memorial Hallway down to the booking mm-hmm. station in Arapahoe County. Mm-hmm. And I became pretty friendly with them. Um, and then I stopped going to court because I got tired of getting arrested all the time. <laughs> and this Which is, is just going to lead to you getting arrested. <laughs> right. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Stupid. Right. Um, this, and this is right when COVID hit. I was in sober living program. Um, and I would do good for about four months and then I would go across town to see my kids and there's 50 liquor stores in between. And again, here's my mind manipulation going on. I could sneak a few in within 10 hours and I'm going to be gone. And when I get home, I'll blow zeros. Mm. Well, it worked for a few times, but there was a couple of times when it was 0.01 and I go up, oh, well, you're out for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I would go back. And then I could do good for three or four months. I get those 24 hour chips and that three month chip. Mm-hmm. I got a whole bunch of those. Never really got into step work um, like I was supposed to. Um, I wasn't ready. And um, finally, the last time. Um, so then, uh, yeah, once COVID hit, they shut down all the meetings. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't go to any 12 step meetings, which were required in this program I was in. And so we had to have a house meeting every night at the house. Well, everybody else worked like construction, so they still had their jobs. I was a service advisor at auto repair shop, so I got put on furlough. I was making more money on unemployment than I was when I was working, and I was the only one at the house. Sounds like trouble. Big time. I knew that I couldn't drink. A lot of money and too much free time. Because they were going to be home, and we're going to have a house meeting and pass the old breathalyzer around. But I still have this criminal addict mind in me that I want to, I need something, right? So off I go to Colfax. And good old facts. Yep. Colfax and you went, I pulled up, and um, that's the first time I bought some crack. Mm-hmm. And um, I got halfway back to the house, and I was like, oh, um, that was not enough. So I turned around and went back and got more. Um, boy, that's when I had a whole new understanding of tweaker. Mm. Um, just buzzing constantly. Um, believe it or not, you can fail a UA smoking crack or a BA smoking crack. Oh, um, so I did. Um, and he called program, the house manager and program director says, take him to detox. He took me to East Metro. It's a great place, by the way, if you've never been there, Hmm. I highly suggest not ever going. (laughs) (laughs) in this you really enjoy the smell of feet and stuff um they took me there and they had the industrial breathalyzer you know that the cops use and it was zero she calls him up says we can't take him he's not he's blowing zeros Mm -hmm. so i went back to the house and uh he had a talk with me about it and a whole bit and you know i wasn't being honest um it happened again. And he's like, okay, that's it. You're done. This was like the fourth time he'd kicked me out of his program. Mm-hmm. So I went to my mom's, she had an apartment, extra bedroom, staying there, all this extra unemployment money. Yeah. It buys a lot of crack. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I had a lot of free time. I had a lot of free time. Um, I'm driving around my uncle's truck. Who's in a physical rehab because he was in, um, Camp Lejeune and got really sick from the water when he was in the Marines. So I'm manipulating and using him because I didn't have my own car. I didn't have any money to buy a car. I didn't have a driver's license. So I'm driving his truck around with expired plates, no license, no registration, no insurance. The only thing that saved me is I don't drive like an idiot. And he had Marine plates on his truck. Mm-hmm. I'm driving around Colfax, driving around, um, bringing erroneous people felonious people over to my mom's place and smoking it in my mom's apartment. Um, just doing all kinds of shady ass bleep stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, that stuff hooked me. It hooked me hard. Um, you can't ever smoke enough crack. There's just not enough to go around. Mm-hmm. Um, 
eventually the vehicle I was driving, my uncle's, um, his brother called it in and stolen it and it got repoed mm. um, as I was loading stuff. Cause my, my back up a minute here, my ex-wife, God love her, um, likes to always be up in my business. Um, and maybe it was a good thing this time because she was trying to help my mom with her finances. And she was looking at my mom's finances and noticing that there's an exorbitant amount of money missing out of her social security, ATM withdrawals. Well, my mom was always like, I need some groceries. And I'm like, where's your card? I'll go get some groceries. And I'd come back with a lot of crack, but no groceries. So she notified my sister who lives in Florida. And my sister came to move my mom to Florida to get her away from me. Um, so I was helping my mom pack a four bedroom of stuff that you could fit in a four bedroom apartment that was in a two bedroom apartment, just stuff that she collects, throwing out trash. And I went out and the cops were there and they impounded the vehicle, but they couldn't arrest me because I had a warrant because I stopped going to court because it was right. COVID and it was a misdemeanor. They just merely suggested. You should go take care of this. You should probably take care of that. Mm. Right. Um, I didn't. Um, then my mom is uh, my sister came to get my mom and we're in the living room and looking at each other. And I could just feel like piercing like lasers from her eyes going through me because like, how dare you steal your mom's social security for crack? Like crack has got such a stigma to it. Like it's such a terrible thing. And it is. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. So I left. And what do you think I did? Yeah. I one guy high. Got more crack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I came back and guess who wasn't there? My mom. Yeah. So I never really got to say goodbye to my mom mm -hmm. because of my addiction. Yeah. Um, I ended up hooking up with a guy and we were getting money every now and then here and there and still continuing to use. And um, at that point, I was riding the bus across town to meet my dealer to get my drugs and smoking it on the bus back to my mom's by myself. Christmas came around and I was in that apartment by myself. And um, I walked up the street to the church and asked the, the father to, to pray for me. Mm -hmm. um, shortly after that, um, I called my lawyer that I hadn't talked to in a couple of years about getting this warrant cleared. He says, we're going to have to call the booking chair. So I call them. Well, nope, you can't turn yourself in. It's a misdemeanor. I'm like, what the f I couldn't. So the reason why I had to get this warrant cleared, one, because it's illegal. But two, I had to have it cleared to get into Stout Street, mm -hmm. which I had been trying to get into since October. And I didn't make it until February. Because I wanted that one last Hurrah. Mm -hmm. Right. You're not we the only person. That's a yeah. common story. Yeah. Yes. We always want that right. one last. If I'm going in, day. baby, I want the the, the right. drugs, the beer. The, I've heard this everything. exactly right before a Stout Street story. Mm -hmm. yes. You are not alone. Right. <laughs> um, never happened. So um, I go in front of the judge. Okay, let's go. And um, I stayed in there for 15 days. And finally, a friend of mine bailed me out. And I spent a week at my ex-wife's house. Um, so I could spend my birthdays on Valentine's Day. So I spent my birthday with my kids knowing that I was finally going to go to Stout Street for two years and um, went in on the 16th of 2021. So I consider that my sobriety date. Yeah. So three three years coming up here. 2-16-21. Yeah, I put it on my arm to remember yeah. myself. Congratulations. So um, in Stout Street, um, I learned a lot. Tell I us about this. Yeah. So I learned why I did what I did. Mm -hmm. um, they put you through a lot of classes that help you cope with life. Right. Breathe. Relax. Real quick. You were ready for Stout Street. Mm -hmm. When you went there, there was, there was not anything in your mind saying, I don't want to do this anymore. You took a few months, but you were ready to do it at that point. I was. I was done. Slim. I had... That was the only thing. Again, 30, 60, 90 program was only going to get me fat and sober. I needed, I know I needed something that was going to like put me in my. There's mm -hmm. one. Um, <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> you know, because it, it will. So um, 
you, you, they start you off by learning how to cope with things because you get a lot of consequences for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I got, you know, I got an hour for, on the bench for not closing my shower curtain. So there's a myriad amount of things that you can get a consequence, yeah. but it also works up to the big ones, you know, like no sexual contact between residents. Right. You know, mm -hmm. you got to keep it in your pants. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's just a thing. You're not there to meet your future ex-wife or your future boyfriend, mm -hmm. right? You're there to meet yourself mm -hmm. is what it ultimately boils down to. And it takes some time to get that thought through your head because it takes about 90 days to get all that shit out of your body, right? So you can get some clarity of mind. Your brain can regrow itself. At least 90 days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you start by learning how to breathe and deal with things. I use it today when I'm driving mm -hmm. or the guy at the U-Scan just can't figure out how to scan the barcode and put it in the bag. Like, come on, really? Um, then they put you through like um, schemas class, maladaptive schemas class, mm -hmm. where it really you figure out what your core belief is. What my core belief is, is I'm not worthy. I never felt worthy. Um, but after that, I started to learn the skills to become worthy. I went into the program as a complete doormat. I would let anybody do anything they want and walk all over me and run around screaming online like a victim. Look at me. I'm poor me, poor me another drink, right? It's exactly how I was. And I, now I have a spine. Now I have a voice. Now I could stand up for myself. Um, my roommate that I share a house with, we went through the program together. He says, if anybody I know in that program did a complete 180, it's you mm. from awesome. where I was to where I am now. Um, I, Learned a lot of things by becoming certain positions in the house. Um, I worked in the kitchen because I had kitchen experience, um, but I'm broken. My body is broken from skiing and football. Mm -hmm. So they put me in. I worked at nights, the overnight shift to make sure that the place was safe and people weren't sneaking out or sneaking into the mattress room at four o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of thing. Right. Um, and then they put me as the legal clerk and I'm like me, like, what? So everybody in there is on parole or probation, mm -hmm. including myself. And I got a lot of experiences, you know, more than just my own experience as being a legal clerk, which helped me become more organized, um, helped me with computer skills that I wasn't very good at, how to do Excel spreadsheets and Word documents and all that kind of stuff that I now use daily in my life, in my job. So it's not just about getting sober and staying sober. It's about learning why and how to counterbalance that when those thoughts prop up, right? You go through an inner child class for 12 weeks, you carry around a stuffed animal. That's your little guy inside, right? You got to protect him. But that little guy for me likes to come out and play sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm like, ah, screw it. I ain't working today. You know, I'm going to go buy a new pair of shoes. That's that little kid inside me going, <laughs> instead, of, instead of me like, <laughs> <laughs> going, well, hold on a little buddy. I, I got you, right? But you know, we've got to wait on the shoes right now. They got a new line of sketchers. I know you want them. <laughs> we got to wait, you know? Yes. Okay. Um, so that helped out. But that, that class really put me in my stuff, man. It really puts you in your feelings, mm -hmm. right? And we don't, we, I use because I don't want to feel. Mm -hmm. And that's the, a lot of what I hear in recovery, I use because I don't want to feel mm -hmm. right. And when you feel it's like, Oh shit, what do I do with this? Well, this place teaches you how to deal with that and what to do with it. Um, I trained the next legal clerk. I became part of the peer run program that runs the house as the upper structure team, as they call it. So like I knew all the rules that people would come to me and ask me the rules and everything. Um, I became well-respected in the community. Mm. which was great, not only with the peers, but also with the staff. Um, I mean, they gave me the keys to the freaking cigarettes. Like, <laughs> that's, a big deal. Now that's pretty trustworthy, yeah, right? Like having the keys that's, to the kingdom. That's like, yeah, that's money, right? <laughs> yeah. You, know, you get two packs a week. And that's, you couldn't make it a week three with your two exactly, packs. Exactly. So they're giving you the key? So, I mean, I could say it now. I never ran out of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Neither did my friends. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. So, you know, you try to like teach not to do that, but here it is. It's 100% manipulation. Mm -hmm. It breeds and lives within that organism. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really great. And then um, they asked me when I went to the sober living part of the program in 18 months, they asked me if I would work upstairs in their 28 day program as a floor manager and a counselor in training. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. yeah. And they're like, well, you don't pay rent over at the Vine. I'm like, deal. Because mm-hmm. I needed a car. I needed a license. I needed at least eight grand to get all that done with the interlock and the SR22 and the car and blah, yeah. blah, blah. The list goes on. It's a great on way to get you moving in that mm-hmm. direction. So saving 600 bucks on rent really yeah. helped a uh-huh. lot. Yeah. I got free meals. You know, I got free rides. Change, change life right there. Yeah, the whole bit. Saving a little bit of money. Yeah. Sure. And I was getting some more experience. Mm-hmm. Then they also asked me to teach the relationship class to the TC residents. And like, that was really cool. Yeah. Great opportunities. Yeah. So, and so did you know at that time that you were on that path for, for a counselor in training? When they offered me the job up there? Yeah. Okay. I started taking some CAT classes. Um, and then this peer coaching opportunity arose okay. and I was like, I can make money now doing this as opposed to spending another 10 more months taking these classes just to get plugged into a treatment facility, making minimal amount of money and dealing with, you know, knuckleheads and punching a clock. Yeah. Right. right. So I got that opportunity and I took it. Nice. Um, I completed the program a month early which was like unheard of. Um, an opportunity arose for a, a house where I now live with three other guys that I've been through the program with. So we know each other inside and out, mm-hmm. which is great. The only rule is don't get high. Yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. use in the house. That's it. Period. Don't yeah. come back to the house using don't use. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever else you want. I don't care. We yeah, still that one thing when you move in with people that you go through a treatment that you go through treatment with. That's like that one solid plan you got to make if you're yep. anybody relapses. It's right. like you got to have that plan. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's a good feeling. So a lot of what I I, I got my QMAP certification while I was in Stout Street. So um, I left the treatment because I couldn't take being there anymore for after two years. I needed to get away. Call it the green monster. <laughs> so I went and I worked at a senior care living home as a QMAP and a caregiver for a few months. Wow, what an experience. Um, those people are so appreciative because I could help them do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. I got to cook for them. I got to clean for them. I got super amounts of praise. They were so, ex- they still text me to this day. Um, but politics got involved and I don't like politics too much. Mm-hmm. Um and then um, I got this and I was like, you know what? I'm boom, put me full time. Give me some people. And I've uh, I've had a way of at first being a little um, unsure of myself, that unworthiness or that lack of confidence flares mm-hmm. up inside of me. Like, oh my God, am I gonna do something wrong? Oh my God, you know. Yeah, and you're responsible for other people. Now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely have that feeling of, oh God, I don't want to mess this up. Right. I mess um, this up, I mess them up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I've made some mistakes, just like everyone. Sure. Nobody's gotten hurt. Nobody's died. Thank God. Um, and now I've become kind of like doing it on my own. Now I work for three different um, recovery coach agencies spread across the board. Five different sober living houses. I have about 23 clients that I work with. That's awesome. That's awesome. They, they call me. It's amazing. I don't have to like round them up like herd of cats sometimes. Um, it's, it's really a great feeling when they call and say, Hey, how are you doing today? Like, really? That's, that's a connection. So as a peer recovery coach, you help link people up with resources in the community and then you stay in touch with them. You check in to see how they're doing, where they're at, what they need. Is that kind of how it goes? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, you know, driver's license, social security cards, food banks, um, sober living houses, programs, Treatment centers, detoxes, um, all that um, bus passes. I went out and bought a couple of books of bus passes and handed them out to my guys so they can get to work. Got it. Helping them find jobs and job fairs. Um, and then helping them find uh, a lot of programs require 12 step meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's one here, but there's also one over here. There's one there. There's one over here. Let's try a different variety and see what fits for you because not one is going to be the same for you as it's going to be for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And you shouldn't be forced to, uh, I tell them when it comes to sponsorship, don't swing at the first pitch. Mm -hmm. Listen to what people have to say over time 
and then get a feel and see if you like what they say and then make the move. If you need help, I will help introduce you because I've developed quite a um, recovery network for myself that I've become aware of. And then they've little do I know, sometimes they even know who I am. I'm like, how do you know who I am? Hmm. Which that's really kind of like an ultimate, like aha moment. Yeah, definitely. Ultimate compliment. It is. And I feed off of that. Right. Um, It's a sign that you're succeeding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to know that you're succeeding. It's a great feeling. And that, you know, not to throw a bunch of 12 step stuff in here. Right. But that's my spiritual awakening. Yeah. You know, when I start feeling that like glittery, like fluttery feeling inside my body that I've like helped somebody. Yeah. Um, I get to be a part of their recovery. Um, and then they're part of my recovery as well. So when I, when I do that, it's like super uplifting. Um, I've always been that kind of person, but I never really had a knew how to harness that and use it to, to the, my best of my ability and, and have a sense of purpose where I'm, I respect myself. Mm. You know, I really do. I respect myself and carry myself with a, a good message. Um, I like to talk about the solution. We all have our war stories, you know, they're all the same. We end up here. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But what do we do now? Right. Mm-hmm. There's fun to be had. I took my guys to being, uh, play arcade games the other night. Yeah. You know, like, Hey, let's get out of the house and go to an arcade. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what's the solution? I like to stay in that, mm-hmm. you know, and the solution for me is check my ego, maintain my, a certain level of pride within myself for what I do. Make sure that I stay complacent with my recovery and don't ever, ever say anyone, I got this. Because mm-hmm. the minute you do is the minute you don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, I have to remember those things and I have to stay involved in a recovery, in, in recovery, no matter what it looks like. Um, my life literally depends on it. Um, there's a guy at the meeting that that's that says, you know, a pretty profound statement, but I don't want to waste your time bleeping out. But, um, you know, if, <laughs> if, if if you think that you can do this by yourself, you're effed. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. You can never do it. No. Alone. We have to. Yeah. Do it together. Have to do it. together. It's like a team. You think of any team, right? That the quarterback doesn't win the game. Right. I'm a firm believer in John Madden football. It starts in the trenches. Right. (laughs) The linemen have to block for the quarterback to be Mm -hmm. able to do anything. The car race driver does not win the car race. The pit crew and everybody else and the guys that are measuring the air pressure and all the science that goes along with that. Any team is going to win. Right. But no one person, not even an athletic marathon runner. He has a training team. Mm -hmm. You know, everything that you look at is if you look at it like that, it makes it so much more tangible that I can hold on to. Mm-hmm. And then you have a less tendency to want to go out and do the things that we like to do when we're using isolate. Oh yeah. No accountability running self will run riot all the time. So stout street taught me all those skills. Love that place. Um, I, I, yeah. I have so much respect yeah. for all of you stout street graduates and And like I I said to you before we started, people that maybe didn't graduate, but went into that program are still in their recovery and look back and go, I couldn't finish Stout Street, but I learned a lot from it. Like Stout Street is a tremendous place. Yeah. Just the seeds that are planted from it. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Behavior modification does so much for so many. It's just that being able to change your perception and the way that you look at the world, those, you know, having that, having that done for you is an amazing thing. It's, it's incredible. I go back. Um, I'm starting a new fathers in recovery group on zoom. That's cool. Um, Cause I struggle, you know, my 23 year old won't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Can I blame him? No, I have to yeah. own it and accept it. Yeah. My 21 year old does. So that's cool. We've talked to a lot of parents who have that same situation. Yeah. That same dynamic in their life that they want to work on. So I think that's, that's something that's needed. You yeah. Know, even if it's just, even if it doesn't solve and bring you together for you to have a, an outlet to talk to other fathers, you know, and, and have that support group. 
hundred percent. Yeah. You went in to Scout Street 216.21. Yep. From that day, it sounds like you have given 200%. You've never looked back and you've really just embraced your recovery a thousand percent, not even to a thousand percent. But have you struggled during that time at any point or has it just been, you know what, I gave, I've given it and because I've given it so fully, it hasn't been. I'd be lying to you if I told you I don't struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I struggle a lot. I still have a lot of character defects that I need to work on. Okay. Um, that's, again, why I have to be complacent with my recovery and understand it. There, Even though I graduated the program, there is no finish line to recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't, Nobody gets a blue ribbon. No destination. No. It's, still it's not end. done. It's not yeah, finished. It's not over. No, never. So, yeah, I do struggle a lot of times. Um, I struggle with... Uh, a lot of personal issues, that self-worth issue or lack mm-hmm. of self-worth mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. you know, um, three years clean. And I'm like, I want the world, right? I want the relationship and I want this. And so I, there's areas in my life that I still struggle with that flare up that internal lack of self-worth schema. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I deal with that? Positive self-talk. Mm-hmm. Affirmations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you know, and I look in the mirror. When I, when I do it, I don't just say it to myself when I'm driving in the car. I look in the mirror mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and say, you know, hey, look, you may not have the girlfriend, right? Um, you don't need to go get more felonies and tattoos just to get a girlfriend. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, right? Yes. Um, it, there are things happen. you don't have to no, do yet. But what you do have to do is you need to look, Timothy, you're a good dude. You are worth it. Your kids know that you're worth it. And what you're doing is like my good um, female confidant friend tells me that um, you're doing the Lord's work, mm. you know, and really, if, if you look at it, I'm not a big God person, mm-hmm. you know, um, but um, it really is um, something bigger than me. Yeah. You know, I'm not all, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about a lot of times. Man, we can self cannibalize <laughs> like right? crazy, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm all that. <laughs> the first thing chips, I think maybe. about when I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so again, checking that ego, yeah. right? Because our ego is not our amigo. It's not our friend. Man. Our ego's not, not our, our amigo. amigo. Right. You on. heard that right, Slim. Yeah, right. Our ego. <laughs> somebody write that down. Write it down. Our get ego it, get it is down. not <laughs> our amigo. That's right. Just write that right there in the comments for me, people, so that that lives forever. Our ego is not our amigo. Yeah. Put that, Dan. Dan? Put that in the byline. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, (laughs) and I continuously go and um, not only um, work with people in recovery, which helps me, but I also continuously go to meetings um, as a just person in recovery to be able to share that. Right. You know, it got you all to smile. Oh man. You know, that's, that's my main goal of the day, right? How many people can I have smile in one day, Mm -hmm. including myself? Yeah. Importantly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you got me smiling for so many reasons, smiling for your recovery, smiling for the work that you do, smiling to learn about Stout Street. I can, I can, the list can go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I could go two hours. Oh, absolutely. Easily, you know? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, uh, now that we're kind of getting close to the end, there's always something that I like to, um, say when I, at the end of a meeting, when I chair, okay. um, all right. and, and those cameras are right there. I always want you all that are in recovery. Um, I would like for you to challenge yourself to every day, look in the mirror and, and ask yourself two questions and tell yourself one thing. And those two questions are, are you done? And how bad do you want this? And the third thing that you ask yourself, tell yourself is that you're worth it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's just that simple. Yeah. Thank that you so much. Fired up. Right oh, come on, yes. man. Yes. Thank you so much to our guest. Our guest has been Timothy DeWeese from Denver. He is a Stout Street graduate, currently works as a certified peer recovery coach. That's for Sober Is, is that you work through? Yeah, main agency. And yes. uh, and then you work uh, through Sober Is with Aurora Sober Living. Correct. So a shout out to Aurora Sober Living. Yeah. And thank you for the work that you're doing. And continue, man, continue in your recovery. Oh, yeah. All right. I, I look forward to bringing you back on again in the future. Because you said you got two hours. Oh, yeah. So we got to bring you in <laughs> for another hour. 
All right, uh, Mahai, this program is brought to you um, with, with help from our friends at Caring for Denver. So we want to thank them for the work that they do in the Mile High with uh, supporting uh, recovery and also Tribe Recovery Homes. And if you want to reach out to Tribe Recovery Homes, if you're looking for resources for recovery, you're looking for sober living, you just have questions for you, a friend, a family member, uh, do that. It's 720-60-TRIBE, 720-60-TRIBE, T-R-I-B-E. You can also find them at triberecoveryhomes.com. Correct. And uh, please reach out to us. There's always somebody uh, to help you. And if we can't help you, we will find somebody who will. This is Sharing Our Stories. Find it on Facebook. Find it on YouTube. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we hope to see you again with our next guest here to talk about recovery on Sharing Our Stories.